Good evening. Good to see everyone out tonight. Thankful for your presence. Hopefully something we'll discuss will be of some benefit. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go and, and to take a tour of Israel, and I got to see a lot of good things, and I want to base my sermon off of this. While I was there, I got to go on the Sea of Galilee, and, and there you think about all the things biblically uh, that happened there, and there are so many. I got to go and visit the town of Capernaum. Capernaum is where Jesus had his earthly ministry, uh, the headquarters, if you will, of where he worked out of, and it was nice to be able to go there. We got to go to Caesarea Philippi, the place where Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, and, and just being there at the place, it, it made more sense as to maybe why he would say such a thing in such a place. Got to visit the Mount of Olives and, and got to go in the garden there, the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and we were told, I don't know if it's true or not, that those olive trees date all the way back to Jesus Christ, all the way to the time that he was there. They told us each little sprout lived about 35 years and sprouted another one, and if you look at them, it makes sense if that's true. We got to go to Golgotha, or at least what they think it is, the place of the skull. And if you'll look at that hill, it sure does look like two eyes and a nose and uh, just kind of a, a place that makes you think. We got to see the place where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, the cave that, that they came out of. We got to go to the museum and actually see those scrolls, so many things that we read about and talk about. I got to go to the Dead Sea and, and got to put my feet in it and feel of how it is and, and just to think back again of all the things that were there in the Bible about these places. I took all of these pictures myself, probably not very good, and when you go into Jerusalem, and we were here, and we were looking out over the city, you see Muslim mosques. When you're walking the streets of Jerusalem, those, the Muslims will get on the loudspeakers, and they will say their prayers different times of the day on the loudspeakers. And it is a very, very eerie feeling to hear that. As you travel the, the streets there in Jerusalem, you will see multitudes of cathedrals. Catholicism is big there, and everywhere there was some type of a special event that had taken place in the Bible, they would build this massive cathedral. And it would be, cost, no doubt, millions of dollars. But I want to ask you this. What's missing? I showed you all of these pictures, not to show you what's there, but to talk about what's missing. As I traveled all through the place and we're thinking about all the things that were written in this Bible, you would think that one thing would be there. One thing that was on my mind that, that should be there, that should be strong, that should have just been an amazing experience for us, but what was missing was the Lord's church. I am told that you can find the Lord's church in Jerusalem, but you have to find us just a small group of people maybe meeting in a basement or something. When I think about that, it blows my mind. I, I've been studying this afternoon. I, I've got to go to Wellette tomorrow night and speak, and, and, and my topic is, is being fearless like Stephen. And according to Wayne Jackson in Acts chapter 6, he thinks the church was 20,000 strong there in Jerusalem. You picture that in your mind. The church is established, Acts chapter 2. By Acts chapter 6, maybe there's 20,000 Christians in Jerusalem. The first church of our Lord, the place where the apostles were some of the elders, the place where it should have been the strongest on the face of the earth, 
today, it's hard to find. It's hard to find. And when you think about that, isn't that a sad thing? Isn't that so sad to think about something that had such a strong beginning, that had such a sure foundation, and now it's almost gone? I want to remind you of something that happens to the church, that happens to our nation. When God's people decide to remain silent, Church, I'm going to tell you something. Bad things happen. When we are afraid to stand up for what we believe in, when we are afraid to defend the book that you hold in your lap, no good comes from it. No good at all. In fact, the exact opposite. I'm going to get to the church in a moment, but I want you to think about, I want you to think about this country. I want you to think about maybe if you've got money in your pocket, change or, or dollar, in God we trust. If you go back and you study the origins of this country, you're going to find that all of those founding fathers were deeply religious people. You're going to find that every time they stood before a crowd and, and they presented any kind of address, it was talking continually about the God of heaven. They talked continually about the Bible and how as a nation, as a people, we should be directed by the morality that we find in this book. If you don't believe me, go home and research it. That's what our nation was founded upon. We were one nation under God, but today, that's not what we are anymore. Today, we don't want God. Today, we want to push God out of our society. There was a political party that I heard with my own ears on TV that booed God. They didn't want God in their platform. They didn't want His name mentioned, and therefore, they booed God. We have a movement in this country to remove under God, to remove in God we trust from everything that we hold dear. People don't want any part of God. You know what's wrong with our country today? Politicians, they can go back and forth. They can fuss, fight. They can argue. But the problem is we don't have God. When you take God out of the equation, we're going to see what we have. I want you to think about what just happened. What just happened, I don't remember, last week, week before, I'm not sure on the exact date. Why do these things happen? Why do they happen? I heard a, a dear friend of mine, John Mayberry, preach a sermon for Center Grove just a couple weeks ago. And he talked about the fact that the reason all of these things happen, it's not because we need to take away all the guns. It's not because we need more law enforcement. It's not because we need more training. The reason all of these things happen is because we've taken away God. And until we put him back in his place, things are not going to get better. Brethren, our country has lost all common sense. Our country has lost rationalization of anything and everything. Everything goes now. It doesn't matter what it is. If you want to do it, do it. We spend more time trying to figure out the gender of a two-year-old than we do trying to figure out the real problem in our country. And until we realize that, we're in big trouble. You see, I borrowed these next few slides from Brad Harab years ago, and I found them and I put them back in this afternoon. He said this is just a taste, just a taste of what happens. When you take God out of society, all of these things that we see on a daily basis, that's what you get. 
That's what you've always gotten all the way back through time. You take God out, who gets to decide? Who gets to decide in society today what is right and wrong? If God is not the absolute standard, and he was at one time, at one time this is what they based the laws that they made, the decisions that they made, but now that is not the case. If God is taken away from society, who gets to decide what's right and wrong? If it doesn't originate from God, and God is good, and God is right, and God is just, it has to originate from man. So if you take God out of society, and you teach there is no God, and we don't want any part of God, who decides? Who decides? Isn't that a fair question? In our country today, who decides what's good or bad? Is it some reverend, some priest? some whatever you may want to call him? Is it some guy that's wearing a, a white coat and he's got a lot of letters that comes after his name? Is he the one that is qualified to decide what's right and what's wrong? At one point in time, there was a man named Hitler and he thought he could decide what was right and what was wrong. And how did that turn out? We don't want any part of that, do we? You see, if you take God out, somebody has got to decide, who is it? Who is it that gets to pick? How do we teach our children? How do we raise them up in a society and teach them how to be a morally good person, how to have an upright character in life without God? If somebody could tell me how to do that, I'd be willing to listen. Because you see, without God, there is no standard. There is no standard. You do whatever you want to do in life, and everything is okay. I mentioned it this morning, and I'm not picking on this, but, but June, I don't watch live TV. I despise it, but I like to watch sports. And so if I watch live sports, you know what I got to watch? Commercials. And so you know what I see every time I'm watching a ball game here lately? That's all I see. And here's what I want to do. I just want to take this one thing in our country, and I'm going to show you how our country has progressed. I found these Gallup polls uh, that I searched for. Actually, I prepared part of this lesson for the gospel meeting last week. I wound up changing my mind and didn't preach it. So I thought I need to use it somewhere. I found these polls. Supposedly in 2012, 3.5% of our country identified with the LB whatever, GQ. 3.5% of the people identified with this group of people that are so loud and supposedly proud. In 2020, 5.6% of the people, the population of this country, identify with this group. And you say, well, so what? Let me ask you something. That means 94 plus percent of this country does not practice this lifestyle. Somebody tell me how this is the front page news everywhere you go. Somebody tell me how this has dominated our whole society, our whole country. How has something like this dominated everything when only 5 or 6% of the people live this type of lifestyle? Somebody tell me how that works. I'll wait for an answer. You mean, let me tell you how it works. They're the loudest. They're the loudest. And you know what we do? 
we put our hands in our pocket and we fuss and we complained about it at home or, you know, to maybe our friends, and that's pretty much the extent of it, isn't it? How many of us truly take a stand against what is biblically wrong? People won't even take a stand when it comes to voting on what is biblically wrong. They won't. People can get upset at me. They can say, oh, you shouldn't talk about that. But it's true. If a man openly stands for all of these things, I want no part of it. I want no part of it. But I want us to see what this small group of people has done to this country. I want you to look at the same poll, polling all of these different age groups. Those of you that are older, only a little over 1% of, of those people identify with this group. If you're a baby boomer, born before 1964, it's just a little over 2%. If you were born before 1980, that, that's my group, between 65 and 80, just 3.8%. I didn't grow up like this. Hardly anybody that you ever knew or heard of, nobody was uh, identified as this. But look how the younger generation, 9.1% if you were born before 1996, 15.9% if you were born between 1997 and 2002, 15.9% of people that were polled identified as they are either lesbian or gay or they're bisexual, they go either way. Now I want you to think about that. How does that happen? How is it that, that people did not do those things the older people as they were growing up, and now that's the thing to do, right? That's the popular thing to be. You know why that happened? God's people didn't do much about it. A handful of people, but most of God's people, they didn't do anything about it. Just kind of let it happen. I want you to look at the whole world. Same polls throughout the whole world, and I want you to look at all of these nations in the last so many years what has happened. Well, the acceptance of this, you think it should be accepted by society? Several years ago, no. A lot of people know. Well, what about now? Yeah. Why? Because you hear it day in and day out. And it never stops. And we don't hear very many arguments against it. And here's what we say. Well, you don't understand. I might lose my job. And I don't understand that. I can say what I want at work and I won't lose my job. Of course, I'm my own boss, so I never fired myself yet. May start tomorrow. But you see, we, we, we let too many excuses go by. We've always got some reason why we can't stand against this. Brethren, it's time as Christians that we stand up and we do something. This whole idea of same-sex marriage, did you think it would get to where it is now? When this was first introduced in this country, did you honestly think it would get to where it is now? Same polls. Back in 1997, only 27% of the people even thought that that should be a possibility. 2021, supposedly 70% of the population. Well, yeah, well, they, they should be given the equal opportunity if they want to get married, roll with it. But this book set all the way back in Genesis that's not the way it works. Jesus said it all the way back in Matthew chapter 19, 2,000 years ago. That's not the way it works. But see, society, they don't want God. They don't want to know what this book says. In fact, they want to do the complete opposite. 
You see, what this group of people wants is they want our children. I got an email just, I don't know, a week or two ago uh, from Family Research Council, I believe it was, and it was an article, and I read the article, and the article was going against Target, this huge retail store. And the reason they were going against Target is because these things are in their store. And you said, oh, I've never seen those things in the store. Yeah, I looked it up on the internet, and I screenshot from the website that you can order these things, or you can go to the store, and you can get it off the shelf. You can get a baby bib that talks about my first pride. You're a baby, and you're already indoctrinating them with the fact that it's okay to be whatever you want to be really doesn't matter. You're a baby, and you buy the onesie, or, or you're a toddler, and you buy a shirt that says, talks about being transsexual, that's okay. It's your right to be that. We are teaching those small children, what's the big deal? You want to be a boy, be a boy, and tomorrow you want to be a girl, be a girl, and that's, rather, what, what has happened? What has happened to our country? The majority of people don't believe this, but they have allowed the minority that is so much louder than us to get their way. That's exactly what's happened. And we may not like it. We may not agree with it. But go back to Jeremiah chapter 6. I appreciate Daniel reading it. But I want us to see the, the point that the nation of Israel, Judah, had gotten to in, in their lives. I want you to see that they had taken God out of a lot of their lives. They didn't want to hear what He had to say. And God knew that. And God is telling them here in chapter 6, I have prepared a great nation. Toward the end of the chapter, he tells them that. I have prepared a great nation. And this nation is going to come in, and they're going to take you out. But we're going to read about why. We're going to read about why. Jeremiah chapter 6, I want to begin reading. And I want to begin reading about verse 6. It says, For thus hath the Lord of hosts said, Hew down trees, and cast a mound against Jerusalem. This is the city... To be visited. She is holy. She is holy oppression in the midst of her. As a fountain casteth out her waters, so she casteth out her wickedness. Violence and spoil is heard in her. Before me continually is grief and wounds. Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean the remnant of Israel as a vine. Turn back thine hand as a great gatherer into the baskets. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? God says, I want to warn you. I want to stop this. But nobody wants to hear anything about God. You, you don't want to know what i got to say. He says, behold, their ear is uncircumcised. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. And if you were circumcised, then that meant you were part of God's. God says their ears are uncircumcised. So in other words, their ears don't want to hear anything God has to say. Their ears don't belong to God anymore. They've got ears that only wants to hear what they want to hear. Continue on. He says they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding it in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken, the aged with him that is full of days, 
and their houses shall be turned unto others with their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, every one dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Pay attention to verse 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Brethren, I want to ask you something right now. Is America ashamed of what she's done? Is this country ashamed of the decisions that they've made? Are the people ashamed of all the things that they're pressing on everybody else? Are they ashamed of, of what they've turned the month of June into? Well, you know the answer. Look at God's people, or supposedly God's people. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay. He says they were not at all. No shame. No shame. That's sad. He says they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. You ever get embarrassed because you've done something bad? You ever get embarrassed because you've done something wrong or, or you just done something that, that was foolish and, and you blush, your face turns red? God says these people, they didn't blush. They never thought they did anything to, to be ashamed about, embarrassed of. They were just fine and dandy with every decision that they made. He says, therefore, therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Brethren, I'm going to tell you something. This country's in the exact same position. And when God gets fed up, you know what's coming. You say, no, that's Old Testament stuff. Brethren, let me tell you something. God's still the same God that He was then. And when God gets fed up, when the iniquity of this country is full, what happens? God's going to stop putting up with it. We're in trouble. But I want you to listen. God wants to give them hope. I don't want to preach a message of gloom and doom without hope. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, verse 16. He said, stand ye in the ways and see. Here's how you stop this. Here's how you keep this from happening. Here's how you bring people back to me. He says, I want you to stand ye in the ways and see. I want you to ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And I want you to walk therein and you shall find rest for your souls. God says, I know it seems like it's too late, but you can change. He says, you can make a stand. Ezekiel was looking for a man in his days that would stand in the gap that would stand up and say what needed to be said. Oh man, that was hard to find, wasn't it? God is looking for the person right here in Jeremiah chapter 6. He says, I want you to stand. I want you to walk in the old paths. Brethren, this country needs to go back to the old paths, to the way things used to be. When we look to God for strength and guidance and not look to selves, God says, here's your chance. You can do this. Church, today, we've got to do this. But I want you to look how sad it was for the nation of God's people. Look at the end of verse 16. But they said, we will not walk therein. We've got a choice to make, don't we? We've got a choice to make. 
Do you realize the church is in the exact same position? Do you realize that the church is declining at a rapid pace? And again, I'm not being gloom and doom, but I'm being real. Do we realize that? Do you realize that the church is changing all across the land and things are being brought in? And I'm going to tell you, it's not the majority that are bringing these things in. It's not the majority that are trying to change things. It's a small minority, and you know what happens most of the time? Most people just kind of fall in line. Nobody says anything. Nobody does anything. Oh, they might grumble in the foyer. They might talk about it at home, but that's the extent of it. Do you know how to stop all of these bad things from happening? Take a stand for God. Brethren, it's time we stand up and we speak up. We can't continue to just let everything go as it is if we expect things to continue to be good for this nation and for the Lord's church. Brethren, there's a time to be quiet, but brethren, there is a time to stand up and speak. I want to show you three examples. I want you three just simple Bible examples. Stories we all know, absolutely children-level stories. Back at the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and God told them, I've got one rule. You don't eat of the tree of life of good and evil. One rule, right? Well, the Bible comes along and, and Satan, or Satan comes along, I should say, and he tempts Eve. And Eve got the fruit, and the Bible says she gave it to her husband. And then it says they both ate. Let me ask you something. What if Adam had took a stand? You ever considered that? Eve gets the fruit. There's no sin in being tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin today to be tempted. It is a sin to give in to the temptation. So she gets the fruit. She looks over at Adam. We're going to eat this fruit. She hands it to him, and then they both eat the fruit. What if Adam would have said, stop. Eve, you know what God said. We are not doing this. I want you to just imagine. Don talked about our imagination this morning. We can use it for good or evil. I want you to use it for good right now. What if Adam would have said, Eve, we are not doing that. We cannot sin against our God. We can't do that. You know he's made this rule, and he said if we do this, we, we will die. What would have happened? When did sin enter the world? Right there in Genesis chapter 3. What if Adam had stopped it in its tracks? Different outcome, right? All that punishment that was put on you ladies, the pain in childbirth, well, that wouldn't have happened. Oh, all the evil, pain, and suffering. You know, maybe if Adam had taken a stand, you say, well, it would have happened later. Maybe it would have. Maybe it wouldn't have. But Adam didn't take a stand. What about in Exodus chapter 32? Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He is receiving uh, the law uh, that he's going to bring back and give to the people. Moses is delayed and is coming down. So the people come to Aaron and they say, Aaron, Moses is not coming back. We need a God to lead us. Make us some golden calves. I want you to think about it just for a second. What if Aaron would have said, no? What if Aaron would have said, you guys know better than that. You know what God has done for us, and we will not sin against our God. What if he had taken a stand? Would the outcome have been different? Again, imagine with me. You remember Moses broke the Ten Commandments? Why did he break them? Because Aaron remained silent. Aaron did not take a stand. God's anger, the Bible says, was waxed hot against the Israelites. In fact, 3,000 people died 
because they had to drink the, the bitter water there of the golden calf. You realize all of that could have been stopped. Every bit of that could have been stopped if Aaron had had enough courage to stand up. Stand up and say, no. Don't you look on the opposite end of the spectrum. In the book of Esther, Mordecai, or not Mordecai, Haman's got a plan, right? Haman's got a plan. He hates the Jews. He wants to eradicate the Jews, so he hatches a plan in order to take out the Jews. And Mordecai comes to Esther and says, Esther, you can't remain silent. Esther, if you don't say anything, maybe God will bring somebody else, but Esther, there's a lot riding on your shoulders. You've got to say something. You've got to stand up. You've got to do something. What if Esther had been like most of us today? Well, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, and I just, you know, I really just really don't want to say nothing. You know what? I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And what if she had done that? What was Haman's plan? I want to kill every Jew, right? Who stopped it? Think about that. Who stopped it? Esther. Because she was brave enough to stand up and to say something. You realize Satan would have won another victory at this point if she had not have stood up and said something? Look at that last one. Jesus was a Jew. And if Haman's plan was successful in eradicating the Jews, in essence, what is that saying? Esther spoke up and allowed Jesus to continue to come through that lineage. Here's what you're sitting here thinking. You're thinking, I'm just one person. I'm just one person. What can I do? Look at those three biblical examples. Adam was one person. He could have stood up. He could have made a difference. Aaron was one person. One person could have stood up and made a difference. Esther was one person. It's not that Esther had a million followers and they all took a stand together. Esther was one person. And she stood up and she spoke out and she made a difference. Brethren, we are in a danger zone. You may not believe this, but we are. Go home again and read Jeremiah chapter 6, and you tell me that that doesn't sound exactly like where we are right now. Brethren, if we don't stand up, I'm afraid of what the future holds. Tonight, I want to ask you, are you willing to stand up? Are you a man? Are you a woman of God tonight? Are you willing? Are you willing to stand up? Revelation 21, verse 8, there is a list of people that the Bible says are going to burn in the lake of fire. Now, that is not, that's not a fun thought. Not anything I really like to entertain. And sometimes we appeal to Revelation 21, verse 8, and we say all liars will burn in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And we, we say that, right? We can't lie. We can't do that. But you know what the first group of people is in Revelation 21, verse 8? Bible says, but the cowardly. But the cowardly. And then he goes on to name the rest of the list. God says, if we're afraid to stand up, if we're afraid to speak out, if we're afraid to, to be in his corner and stand on his book, God says, that's not going to work with me. It's not going to work. Tonight, where are you at? We live in the midst of wickedness. Do people know where you stand? Or do you just kind of go along to get along?
Going along to get along may work with the world. It doesn't work with God. And honestly, I don't care what the world thinks about me. All I'm worried about is what God thinks about me. Tonight, if you're not a New Testament Christian, I beg and plead with you to be one tonight. You can obey the gospel tonight. If you are a Christian, maybe something we talked about tonight or maybe something's been bothering you in your life and you want to get it right, don't leave here tonight without your life in a right relationship with God. If there's anything we can do for you, please come. Together we stand and sing.